welcome to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast with your hosts Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. The ultimate insider's guide from signing day to the national championship game and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. Back here on the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast, Chip Patterson, Barton Simmons, uh, welcome one and all to the quarterback episode. Barton, this is, uh, this is I, I, think, I feel like I need to give you credit for this one, but uh, here as we count down the, the time until the start of the season, you know, camp is underway. Don't worry, y'all, the camp buzzes are coming, but Barton, I, I like the premise here. We're, we're going to, a whole episode just just dedicated to talking the quarterbacks and this is going to be the first of a series so uh let me let me start by giving you a hat tip and some props so the listeners uh the listeners know that you are the the brainchild behind this yeah i mean quarterbacks always generate a little uh a little interest right that's all everyone really cares about it's quarterbacks that's uh, not true but we're going to care about the <laughs> offensive linemen and the defensive linemen yeah, we're going to care about the coaches we'll have, a, we'll have a trenches episode we'll yeah. have a coaches episode we'll have uh, we're going to we're going to do some deep dives, uh, but we'll start with the position that is uh, the most obvious and the most important, and that's the quarterbacks. And there's this is I, I think this is actually like last year was such a big year for quarterbacks uh, with all those first round draft picks and some you know I think the NFL scouts haven't really zeroed in on their five no doubt first rounders this year, but I think the more I sort of look at this national landscape of quarterbacks the more i think this is still a pretty good year across the board it's almost maybe even feels deeper nationally at the quarterback position than last year there just may not be the the baker mayfield sam darnold josh rosen sort of no doubt blue bloods at the top but i wouldn't be surprised if those guys actually start to emerge into this season too right because it feels like we've got uh a lot of players who are capable but I, it, in, especially with the, you know, with what you were saying with the NFL scouts, it, there there does not seem to be any consensus at all uh, on who's going to be going at what. I mean, what, we're going to be spitting through uh, a couple of superlatives here, and of course, uh, as you probably know from the the episode that you clicked on right now, we've got Brian Stumpf, general manager of the Elite Eleven. He's going to be coming up in just a second. Uh, so as we look and. and Good conversation with Brian. He's seen uh, he's seen most of the key quarterbacks. You know, we we kicked him pretty much every major quarterback battle that we were interested in, and I felt like he had the nugs, man. He had the nugs ready to go. I mean, there's, there's it's kind of crazy. Like, there's not that many high level quarterbacks in college football right now that haven't gone through the Elite Eleven, and and that process gives those guys insights. Uh, on a on a much deeper level than just watching them throw because they're they're literally like have several days with them so um th- yeah like, i think that's you can learn a lot from from talking to the elite 11 coaches all right uh let's let's dig in 2018 season quarterback superlatives barton first one quarterback most likely to win the heisman Tua Tungavailoa. Dang, that's a good answer. I've I've got Jake Fromm. I, I can't decide whether that's an. I can't decide whether the Tua answer is a. Like, I wonder how many people would have that answer. Like, is that? I feel like it, it could very well be a mainstream answer. Um, but I, I mean, I I'm bullish on Tua. Um, anyone who listens to this show knows that. Uh. But I'm also uh, believe that this Alabama offense could be the most explosive Alabama offense we've ever seen under Nick Saban. And I think Tua is the key to that. And I think the, the wide receivers that they've accumulated around him uh, really sort of uh, unlock that as well. And then he's got a, a bunch of running backs that are really good that, that's, that give them balance. And so I think that offense could just – Let's we'll see what Mike Loxley can do, um, but that that offense has a chance to look really exciting. And if two is the trigger man, and they're playing for a national title, that's going to feel like a, a pretty good Heisman bet to me. But what about the? I mean, there, there's got to be a little part of you 
or at least there, there certainly is on this end where there's some hesitation, regardless of talent, regardless of weapons, just the idea that an Alabama quarterback would have, uh, you know, the, the Heisman can be very, very finicky. I feel like an Alabama quarterback, you know, to win the Heisman probably means a little less Nick Saban hands on the offense than what we've seen in the past. Yeah, that's, I, I mean, that's kind of, the way I see this this Alabama offense is like I'm envisioning a different look than we've seen in the past, and I guess maybe that is presumptuous. Like maybe it's just gonna be the same old Nick Saban uh, ball control type of deal. But I just think Tua is too dynamic not to to sort of transform the offense to a certain degree. So uh, I don't know. I'll be. Uh, I, I think it's it's going to be very interesting to see what this offense looks like. I'm just as we've gone through this, Tua's Tua's actually has is tied for the first number one odds in Vegas based on what I'm looking at for the Heisman at plus seven hundred, tied alongside Bryce Love. Wow! So I guess I guess it's not a it's not a uh, contrarian pick at all. Uh, it looks like it's a pretty standard pick, but I, I think it's a I think it's a smart one. Um, Jake Fromm is my contrarian pick. And my uber contrarian pick is Trevor Lawrence. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean Trevor Lawrence is interesting for sure. I feel like um, I feel like when we broke down the freshmen winning the Heisman with even though they were redshirt freshmen and not true freshmen, but to get Johnny Manziel in 2012 followed by Jameis Winston in 2013, I think that and and you know even follow it up with what we saw at the quarterback position last season and even before that with you know Jake Fromm and Tua coming in to win the title or Jalen Hurts finishing as a top five Heisman Trophy vote getter and SEC Offensive Player of the Year as a freshman like it, it's almost like the recency bias and the the flashy new thing that seems to always be you know part of our our collective uh attention you know I I, I would not surprise me at all especially you know, given all the other advantages that Trevor Lawrence is going to have, that he's going to be put in a position, and you know, not to tease a, a comment from our guest that's coming up in just a second, but you know, he he doesn't have to be the superstar anymore, and I love that anecdote. So I I wouldn't be surprised of all the freshman quarterbacks this year, Trevor Lawrence is right without a doubt the one who's got the best chances at the Heisman. So Jake Fromm is an interesting one because you you know, I think. A, I, that's a much better bet if Demetrius Robertson is able to get eligible this year. And there's some buzz that he could potentially get eligible this year, the transfer from Cal. Um, but, you know, Jake Fromm is is sort of a – he's not really a – I mean, he, game manager. Like, he's more of a game manager type of quarterback, right? I mean, he's a really good one. But uh, – if he wins the Heisman, I would think that means that Georgia is playing in the national championship game, right? I think, yeah, that's the premise. Right. It's basically bet like the, the trigger man for a team that has a huge year. Yeah. Um, and, and, and it's also part of a, a little bit of a bet that I, I probably wasn't as I, I didn't have enough chips in Jake from on Jake Fromm's side. And I have slowly, but surely, uh, warmed up to the idea that Jake Fromm is really, really, really good. He is really, really good. <laughs> you know, like, and and, and, and yeah. it was because he had Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle that I, I was, and because of some of the quarterback struggles that we had really seen between Aaron Murray and Jake Fromm. I mean, Jacob Eason, uh, you know, I just, I, I felt like there was just a, something in my mind that was not allowing me to commit to the idea that Jake Fromm was... Uh, was someone who could elevate the level of play, not just be a, a game manager. And I think that what I've come around to from reviewing last year and from continuing to dive into Jake Fromm, the player, is that if if he takes a step forward, then he's a really, really good quarterback in 2018. No, you're right. Um, and he'll need to be. A, I mean, last year was he was a true freshman. Yeah. And so, I mean, that, if you if you think about just the natural progression of things. And the running backs are gone, and so he'll be asked to do a little bit more. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, I think uh, I, I think it, it's very conceivable uh, 
that he really emerges as sort of that that elite passer nationally. I'm just looking at the odds right now. Trevor Lawrence is actually at plus 1,500, which is uh, three, four, tied for fifth Jeez. among the odds. I mean, there's the other – Jake Fromm's also at plus 1,500, Khalil Tate, Will Greer, Trace McSorley, and Trevor Lawrence. That's the plus 1,500 crowd. And see, um, and like I feel like every year the whoever is at the top of this Heisman odds list doesn't win it. Right. Like I'm trying to look on this Heisman odds list and figure out where like the value pick is. Um, it's tough. It's a, this is a tricky year because there's just like I said, I think it's a deep year, but it's also there's not necessarily that lead pack. Um, there's just a bunch of guys that you could see in the mix. So I um, this will be a this will, this will be an interesting Heisman Heisman year. Top NFL draft prospect, and I didn't clarify this when I was texting you, but I thought about this as in like for the 2019 NFL draft. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Like yes, I agree. Okay. So that's the way I looked at it too, and I I went uh, uh, Justin Herbert. Mm, Drew Lock. Yeah, I mean, I think those are those are both first round picks. Where Where and, are you on Ryan Finley? I'm I'm a little bit more indifferent. Are you I as in Are you as indifferent about Ryan Finley as you are about Dave Doran? Like, oh yeah, Ryan 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 Finley. He's like a seven just, or eight win quarterback. Yeah, they just all that NC State offense. They just all kind of merged together. Even like last year, I don't know. Even the, even some of their like offensively, even to me, their running backs and receivers all just sort of. M- m- morph together into one person like that nc state is such an anonymous team to be so and ryan finley just gets just gets engulfed in that anonymity of nc state and so uh i can't i can't get there with him for first round yet i mean he's but I think justin herbert is is a i i don't i kind of feel pretty good about him being the top quarterback picked. I also thought of, I think that of all the quarterbacks, like the reason why I sort of stuck to the quarterbacks of national championship contenders. And, and certainly you did as well. Part of it was, I, I don't know if, I don't know if there's a quarterback out there that's going to do it statistically. And, and if you are a quarterback, traditionally you either um, had an absolutely ridiculous record breaking or near record breaking season or you're playing for uh, one of the top teams in the country. That those that's kind of like the the two doors. And if you were playing for one of the top teams in the country and you have a record breaking season, hello Jameis Winston, then it comes together. So I was looking at Herbert and I was like, that's the only guy. Like if Herbert goes out there, throws her four thousand yards at a seventy percent completion percentage with you know twenty five touchdowns and two interceptions then he is the one player who I think is most likely to get the like statistical bump in Heisman Trophy, unless, of course, Oregon's competing for national championship, but I don't think they're going to be there this year. So, and, and the other thing about Herbert, like on the NFL front, like he is that, he's big, he is athletic, he does have a big arm, he's also like supposedly this super smart kid, some kind of like Boy Scout type of dude, and I, I just think he is a, uh, I think he's going to be the rave. Um, whether he's, you know, I, I don't know if he's going to win the Heisman because of he'll be over there in Oregon and it's a little bit tougher. You know, I guess that depends on what kind of season they have. Uh, but I, I just think he's going to have, he's going to check all those NFL boxes. Um, and I think, especially given what Patrick Mahomes is going to do this year, I think NFL scouts aren't going to care that much that he comes from a spread offense. The quarterback that is carrying the most weight for his team this year. Who'd you have here? Will Greer. Yeah, that's a good one. I have Drew Locke. Ah, I mean, but same thing where uh, all the fans hope for 2018 is resting almost entirely on the arm of the quarterback. It is. And the reason I picked Drew Locke, too, is because like, if you think about it, Missouri sort of hired like. Derek, the Derek Dooley hire was really centered around giving Drew Locke a better opportunity for the NFL, like to bring in someone that is going to bring some NFL concepts to help Drew Locke uh, 
bring in somebody that is going to cater the offense to Drew Locke, um, which is what's happening at, at Missouri. And then also, I think, A, the coaching staff, like this, if they somehow the, the bottom drops off, I think this is a staff that is, is potentially at risk. Um, and also, if he gets hurt, there's really no backup. And I think that's that, that plays into the Will Greer narrative too. Like if Will Greer gets hurt, that that's sort of it for for West Virginia. Yeah. Um, so, but I I think uh, I think Drew, I, that's why I think Missouri has got a chance to be pretty good, man. Because if they got they got weapons on the outside, and I think if if Derek Dooley is just not a disaster, I think this offense is going to be pretty dang impressive. And they got some defensive linemen coming back too that were, you know, Terry Beckner and Jordan Elliott, the Texas transfer will be eligible and. Uh, you know, Chris Turner, and I, this is a defensive front that's going to be pretty good too. So I think Missouri's sneaky good, but it's all it's all hinges on Drew Locke, his health, and and what he can do in that offense. Yeah, when I go around and I look at other uh, teams that are, have expectations, and I, I will say high expectations of, you know, the the fans are going into the year expecting a bowl game. And, right. and and hoping for more. Anything from, you know, Alabama, you won a national championship uh, down to, you know, the, these teams that are like, all right, if we get a bowl, it's a di- little bit of a disappointing season. At these other places, it's either that I am not uh, all that confident in the quarterback position in general, or there's someone else back there where I, I believe that the team would not have that much of a drop-off should that change need to be made. Like, I, I how about this? I kicked around Jarrett Stidham. But the rest of all the rest of sort of the Auburn machine as it stands right now from a personnel perspective and even in that quarterback room, like I think there's a drop off. I think you lose a lot of what Jarrett Stidham can bring you, but I don't think that the the weight of Auburn's success is gonna be on Jarrett Stidham's shoulders. Yeah, I mean I, I agree and that like I I think Stidham I mean I think it is on his shoulders, but to, to the point like where if he gets hurt they can sort of cater the offense more towards a run-focused scheme with the with their backup quarterbacks, and ultimately Auburn is is going to go as far as the the broad shoulders of that defensive front carry them. Right. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, I agree with that. And like, I really think across college football this year, there's a lot of deep quarterback rooms. Um, I'll tell you another one that you could have gone with probably is JT Daniels. At oh, oh, because if it's uh, Jack Sears or Matt Fink, then it's like a two-win differential, you think? Yeah, I mean, when was the last time anybody had this this high of expectation for a you know conference champion contender, if not a playoff contender, in a, in a true freshman quarterback? And, I mean, that's we're all sort of assuming that JT Daniels can just step in and be good and and – I don't know. That might be a lot to ask. I mean, all these these other these other freshman quarterback, whether it's Trevor Lawrence or or whether it was Jalen Hurts a couple of years ago. I mean, I feel like those guys have they're a little more of the just sort of distributors. Whereas I think JT Daniels, if he's at USC, like they're going to ask him to do some things. Like they're going to ask him to win some games. And uh, so I don't know. Like that's 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 going to be. Of, I mean that that's a lot of pressure and a lot of weight on a on a. I mean, he's old. He's an old freshman. I think he's like nineteen, but still, that's a lot of weight on his shoulders. Can is JT Daniels physically ready? Yeah, yeah. Because he's like a. I guess I mean he like he's he was he skipped his senior year, but he was held back early in his career, and so he is an old freshman. He is. A Wait, so he's he, sort of a stocky, thicker kid that I think will be fine on the physical side of it, and I think he's fine on the. That's the part of the reason that the expectations are so high for him is I think he's fine on the middle side of it too. He's very, he's much more equipped than most true freshmen on the middle side of it, and and yet it's still just a lot to heap on a freshman's shoulders to to quarterback USC, uh, who is again I, I always thinks of themselves as national championship contenders 
Who is the quarterback we're going to be talking about more at the end of the year than at the beginning? I did. I had two here. Daniel Jones at Duke and mm. Nate Stanley at Iowa. You know, I love to hear that Daniel Jones. I know that's we're we're a very Daniel Jones friendly podcast here. Yes. Um, I I just think I mean that could be a, that could be a dude that is in the first round conversation, and, and I think Nate Stanley could be too. Those are two guys with all the tools you could want, and if the t- like, look, I predicted what I think I predicted Duke at nine and three, mm-hmm. uh, and meanwhile Iowa looks like they've got a great home schedule. They've got a, you know the, a favorable schedule this year, and they are clearly sort of the number two contender I think in the in the Big Ten West. Like if both of those teams finish second in their division, which is where I think I've got them predicted, then both those quarterbacks just had a really good year, and we're I think we're really talking about them a lot because both the, the like those guys are the total focal point of those offenses. Like Nate Stanley's got to have a, a big year, yeah. And Daniel Jones, I think is is I mean that's this is his time at Duke, so I, I think that if they if, if those teams are successful, those guys are going to be getting a lot of love. Yeah, Daniel Jones probably uh, with some some consideration probably for the top NFL draft pick, especially if he has a big year. Yeah, and I don't think people really realize that. Like, I don't know that anyone. I don't think that the Joe fan is necessarily talking about Daniel Jones as a potential first round draft pick, but I think the reality is he is in that in that mix. He is in that conversation. I had Sam Ellinger. Yeah. I think he's. I, I. I think that. Uh, I even even like at my own fault. I think that I am uh, not re- sort of real. I'm. I'm not realizing uh, how young and how early in the development stages Sam Ellinger was last year. And I know you got hyped. You know, it was, it was the USC game, right? I said after the USC game, that's I, that Texas's Ellinger, quarterback. That Sam Ellinger will be an iconic Texas quarterback eventually. God, what by the a, time his career is over, what a he will finish as an take. iconic Texas quarterback. Oh man, that's an incredible take. I still believe that. Yeah, and I mean, as long as he stays healthy, I still believe that. Just because he's such a gritty, physical kind of, he has just a lot of moxie and just he has all those sort of qualities. Texans just love and I mean anybody loves but I mean he's got he'll have I think he's got a chance to to and whether he's an NFL guy or not I just think the way he plays his style his confidence he's just got an aura about him that he's going to be if he can just hang on to the job win some games he's going to be a a very memorable Texas quarterback and I feel like he is not being talked about very much nationally at all right now if if he ha- if he can stay healthy and if he can you know guide Texas to even in like a nine win season, right? Uh, then then I think that we are talking about him for a lot of the reasons that you just mentioned a lot more at the end of the year. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. Yeah, I think that's a good one. Oh, uh, all right. So you 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 hint you hinted at a little bit there, and we're gonna get Brian Stump coming up here in just a second. Um, we did best and worst quarterback rooms during the off season. Given any of the the changes and the shifts, uh, as we're as we're sitting here, you know, camp has started. We're less than a month away from the the first games of the season. You know, where where are your is your confidence and your concern? What are a couple quarterback rooms that are standing out to you? Well, first of all, I want to throw a couple of other like possible names we might be talking about more at the end of the season. I Ooh, think Kenny Pickett. Yeah. Let's go. I think Steven Montez at Colorado. I think Kasim Hill at Maryland and Derek King at Houston. I thought those about are, Derek King for sure. Those are four guys that if those teams like right now I don't expect much out of Pitt or Colorado or Maryland. But if those teams have surprising years, which I think are is very conceivable for all of them, then the, those quarterbacks will have really made a huge splash nationally. I also think Derek King 
given his style, a five ten quarterback that's athletic, that had what led like had He's he's the returning lead Houston. He's returning leader and yeah. Yeah, he's the returning leading passer, receiver, and rusher for the Houston Cougars go. in twenty eighteen. Yeah. yeah. And so I mean that's a kid that I think is could become a real fan favorite. And given that like how much fun people how much people are going to enjoy watching Ed Oliver, if you have sort of another reason to tune into Houston, then I think that he becomes a, a fan favorite nationally. So I think those those are four names that are second tier quarterbacks or second tier teams that I think, and I think Houston could ultimately win the AAC this year. I think they have that type of upside. So I think those are four teams that you could keep an eye on at the quarterback position. Um, quarterback rooms. I mean, I still think Penn state's probably got the best quarterback room or the one that I'm most excited about with Trace McSorley and Tommy Stevens as the backup. Um, I think, you know, and then obviously Georgia, Alabama, um, Clemson are are big time quarterback rooms as well. Which I mean, which direction did you go with this one? All right, I was going to ask specifically if you still think Ohio State is in a great place without Joe Burrow. And also, um, well, let's see what was the other uh big impact transfer? I can't remember. But did the uh, this I, I thought the conversation started with Ohio State Oh, Ohio State and Michigan. Those are the two ends I was going to ask about. Yeah, I mean, I I think like if yeah, Tate because Mar- Tate Martell's the number two right now, right? He is. Mm. Yes. I, that, I, I mean, it, I think he's that. that I mean, that, Ohio State goes from having one of the best quarterback rooms in the country, based on just purely on having three guys that are good, to being a good quarterback room, having two guys that are good, neither of which we have seen a lot of. Um. I mean, Ben Haskins has the sort of arm talent where we could be looking up at the end of the year and have him at the very top of the quarterback rankings. But I, st- I think it's presumptuous to think that like he is there right now. Like we gotta we gotta see it a little bit. Um, but and then I, I mean, Michigan is like we'll talk about it a little bit with Stump, but that Michigan room is like I, the the closer we get to the season, the more like perplexed I am with what Michigan's going to look like a quarterback. I really don't know. Like I, 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 the Shea Patterson thing is fascinating. Um, and we'll, we'll let, we'll let stump dig into that a little bit, but I just, I don't know, man, Michigan's, I think they got, they got, they have good depth for the first time under Jim Harbaugh at quarterback. I mean, they're, they're in the best situation at quarterback that Jim Harbaugh has been in at Michigan. That I think is clear, and so with that said, like, you should, I mean, Michigan should feel pretty good. I mean, they've done okay with with mediocre quarterback play, and they're at least going to be better at that position this fall. Um, any any let's see, our our quarterback rooms that are the most concerning. We've actually already mentioned them, probably built into the uh, quarterbacks with the most weight on their shoulders: West Virginia, USC. Um, where else do we have Ari- some? I mean, Arizona. If if they if they lose Khalil Tate, they're in trouble. Um, you know, I think uh, I think I mean that's yeah. I don't know. That's a big one. Oh, uh, Ole Miss. That was it. If Jordan Tomu goes down, it's it's over. Yeah, fortunately, Jordan Tomu is a big, strong, physical <laughs> dude. Thick piece should, of meat. <laughs> you know, I don't. He'll be all right. I, for some reason, like I have zero, I like have zero concern. Jordan Tomu's going to get hurt. I don't know what it is about Jordan Tomu, but he just strikes me as a guy that probably has never gotten hurt <laughs> at anything in his life. Um, but but yeah, that's but if he does go down, Ole Miss is in trouble. And then look, Matt Corral is talented, but I just my hunch is he's not ready year one. Um, Vandy Kyle Shermer's another quarterback that is an NFL quarterback. I'm telling you, he is an NFL quarterback that no one is talking about. And if he can stay healthy and if they can protect him, they got a chance to move the football a little bit. But if he goes down, they're in trouble. And Vandy is not – it's not going to be easy even if he is healthy. So uh, Vandy better keep Kyle Shermer healthy. All right, Vandy better keep Kyle Shermer healthy. And we better bring you Brian Stump. So let's get into it with the general manager of Elite 11, Brian Stump. 
And now it's our pleasure to welcome to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast the general manager of Elite 11, Brian Stumpf, at Stumpf underscore Brian on Twitter. Uh, Brian, thank you so much for taking some time to be with us. Absolutely. My pleasure. So I'll, I'll kind of set this up. So Brian runs the Elite 11 and the the opening um, regional and, and finals, the really the best camps in America. Uh, I don't really think that's arguable. Um, and so, and, and correct me if I'm wrong here, B, but like you, he's, he's involved in the selection of this, these events. He's also involved and in, in part of really the reason I wanted to get you on is look, I've been out at the, the elite 11 and I've been at the opening finals and it's, it's like, you know, it's what three days, three or four days for the elite 11 finals for the opening. It's five or six days with these guys behind the scenes seeing how these guys operate, um, seeing how they respond to adversity, seeing how they take coaching. And so even just from my kind of outside perspective, I can gain a lot. And I've learned from talking to you guys that when you're sitting in those rooms and you're really kind of talking to those guys and they're, they're, they're less, they have their guard up less with you than they would with someone like me who's got a recorder in their face. And I think you guys do a great job of digging into who they are as people in a lot of ways so that's a big reason why I wanted to talk to you to, to really get into some of these quarterbacks that are at, in the center of a lot of quarterback races who are some of the big names in college football this year to get some of your background on, uh, on kind of who these guys are in a lot of cases. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's soup to nuts when we get them for a couple of days and, and, and you kind of alluded to it. it it's really valuable, um, I think, inside just for us to – to, to be around them for that period of time. You've, you've been out to regional events or seven on seven tournaments or even a high school game for, you know, on a Friday night, uh, one, one day or one sitting a couple hours, you can kind of, you can kind of fake some stuff or they can have a really good day. But I think when you're around a kid in that type of setting where, especially if it's, it's super competitive and kind of, you got all the alpha males together. Uh, you, I think we learn a lot more, um, in those multi-day settings, uh, behind closed doors, they're going to see some adversity as well, too, for the first time versus when you go out and see a kid at a seven on seven and the team wins the tournament and they throw 18 touchdowns and one pick against, you know, other high school kids in their, in their area. So yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely a unique setting, I think, and, and, uh, a, a great opportunity to, to kind of get more under the hood of, of some of these guys, especially the quarterbacks. How yeah, and, and you guys have done a good job of selecting these guys too because we're, you know, if you look around the college football, you know, Chip and I were talking before this on sort of who who we wanted to hit on. There, there's not many that are excluded from the list in terms of the big-name quarterbacks of college football that haven't been through the Elite 11 circuit, and most of them have been Elite 11 finalists or, or at the opening finals, so um, – there's not a lot off the table here. And Chip, I don't know if you wanted to go somewhere else first, but I, I, I thought maybe we would just start off the top with uh, kind of the big name from 2018 with uh, with Trevor Lawrence. Did you want to go somewhere else, Chip? No, nah, let's 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 start right there because we I feel like we've we've been leaving the Clemson situation dormant for a few episodes. I, I want to dig in with uh, someone who knows that guy the best. Yeah. So so all right. I think the setup here for Clemson is. I mean, they're pretty good. They're a national title contender regardless of who's a quarterback. Not regardless, but but Kelly Bryant certainly is capable. Um, but Trevor Lawrence crushed it in the spring game. You know, we all know what he was ranked coming out of high school. Um, how, like, based on when you've sort of been around Trevor, because he, he won the Elite 11 MVP, but he his body of work over the course of four years in high school and what he's shown early on at Clemson is pretty striking and startling stuff. Like, what were your impressions of Trevor? And and I think probably the bigger question I would have for you is, do you think he's the type of kid with the personality and the presence to be able to deal with all the pressures that might come with potentially starting as the quarterback for the number one team in the country or a national title favorite? Yeah, I think I think your last point is is the key thing when these guys get to college and as freshmen, are they ready to handle it? A lot of times, physically, um, they they can step in at practice and start making all the throws and things like that. But can they handle the locker room? Can they handle absorbing the offense? Can they handle you know running point on the huddle and uh, things like that? So um, I think with with being around Trevor, 
he's he was a special he's a special prospect. He's a once in every five to seven years player. It just so happened that Justin Fields is also that type of prospect, right. and they were the same <laughs> class and same year. So it was it was really fun just being around those two guys last summer and and, and seeing them really raise raise the level of their competition as they kind of went back and forth through our events in the summer. Um, but yeah, I think I think absolutely he's 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 ready physically. Um, and, and the situation he's been in where he's been he's been this hyped, you know, uh, Uber prospect really since the end of his freshman year going into his sophomore year of high school. So he he's played with that target um, on his back at every event he's gone out to in the off season and then just the expectations even on his high school team of, you know, being undefeated through most of his high school career and, you know, they lost in the playoffs as a senior. But uh, he, he had a he had a spotlighted career. Um, as a high school prospect as well. Um, I look at that situation kind of as the the game against Alabama in the playoff last year is is kind of the microcosm of, I think, why Trevor Lawrence by the end of the year is probably going to get a chance. Clemson, like you said, not with any quarterback, but with, with Kelly and, and the guys they have, they're going to they're gonna be favored in, you know, let's call it all their regular season games. But when they get to that level, um, they needed more from the passing game. Um, and that's where it's going to be interesting to see that how this plays out during the season. They're going to play him. I would, I would be shocked if he, if he didn't get some run. Um, but when they get to that point in, in whatever game seven, game five, when they're being challenged and, you know, the run games being shut down and the RPO passing games being shut down, Trevor's going to have an opportunity to give that offense a different dimension. Um, and especially with the, the young playmakers they have outside, you know, you want to get guys like T. Higgins and Amari Rogers and those guys more chances too. So um, it, it's hard not to see it playing out eventually where he's going to get his sh- his chance. Um, and, and really, I think maybe the Alabama situation last year is kind of the the blueprint of it. At some point, they're going to need more from the passing game, and, and it's going to be hard not to to go to Trevor Lawrence at that point and see what he can do. How often is it that you, uh, like with Tua, when he was coming through, did did you find at the time that that was going to be a player who was going to be ready if his number got called? And, and I guess how often do you see players that come through where you can tell from the Elite 11 process, oh, that guy is going to be ready to contribute and lead an offense early on, if not right away? Yeah, I think with, with Tua and what we saw from him a couple summers ago, Obviously, he and Barton can speak to it too. Physically, he's he's supremely talented. There's not there's not too many people we've seen over the last 15, 20 years that can just throw a football like Tua. His ball finishes on the face mask down the field like few others anybody has seen. But the the thing that when we were around him for a while that that really grew on him and, and made you think that he's got a chance to be a, a special special player at the next level is his ability to relate to the other players. Um, he's a Polynesian kid from Hawaii doesn't have a ton in common with, with most of the kids playing in the SEC. Uh, but when he gets around him in that group and in that setting, especially off the field, um, he commands their respect and they can all relate to him. Um, so I think when we saw that aspect of, of Tua's game and just his personality and his ability to, to connect with players from, from all over the country, you know, defensive guys, offensive linemen, et cetera, et cetera, um, that, that's what really gave you, you know, I think the confidence in terms of, when, when he came into that national championship game, I think people weren't surprised with how he did because um, not only his physical ability, but his ability to just energize that team when he came on the field in that game, they all, you saw it, they all believed in him. Um, nobody, nobody doubted that he could, he could uh, do that for them in, in the championship game in that setting. Um, and that's, that's why it came to, to happen the way it did. It's crazy. I, I, I mean, just from watching Tua deal with, that elite 11 stuff and and I've, I've only ever seen him in 707 in the army bowl and in, in that setting too but like the kid is just like he has such a calm and such a presence to him like you said it's uncanny and and i would even argue like because i know for y'all jalen hurts didn't make the the finals and i think in some ways that's been validated by his limitations throwing the ball but I also thought in the well, – I guess I should say he didn't make the opening. Um, but in the Elite 11 finals, when he was part of the whatever, the final 18 or 24 or whatever that, that first semifinal setting is, I was really impressed talking to Jalen about just in terms of his like business-minded approach, like maturity. And, and, and to me, that really jumped out and that made me feel like he was ready too. So just to get back to Trevor, like – one of the things that I noticed about Trevor was just how he sort of feels comfortable in his own skin, feels like seems to 
seems to uh, handle the stardom pretty well. Like, was that a – because you're going to have to have some thick skin. Or you're going to have to be able to really sort of handle a, some bright spotlights if he is, in fact, the starter at Clemson. What, what was your sense in that regard in terms of, like, that week at the opening finals or at the Elite 11 finals in terms of, like, his just personality? Did he have the same sort of it factor off the field that we saw out of Tua or out of, out of Jalen to you? I think he has something similar. It's not exactly the same. Um, I think he did feel the weight a little bit of because he's been that anointed number right. one guy since the end of his, his freshman year. And um, I think that kind of weighed into, especially at the opening when, when he, he, you know, he had his ups and downs like every quarterback's going to have in the, the seven on seven portion. Um, I think almost being though at Clemson for him, his personality is great. He's going to be able to handle it. And I think being back on a team and being one of the guys, um, you know, there's, there's what, 15 other five stars on the roster and everybody right. else is probably a four star. And that, that it's a, it's an uber talented team. If you're talking about rosters in college football. So he's no longer Trevor Lawrence who has to carry this and be the number one guy. Now he's just Trevor Lawrence. who's going to get an opportunity to play for a good college football team. And, um, you know, be back into a setting where yes, he's the quarterback and there's more scrutiny, but he's not this, Six six giant on a high school team with you know <laughs> yeah. uh, a couple of the kids that might play college football and, and the weight of the world of this community on his shoulders, um, which I think it was just a long process for him, you know, yeah. from his sophomore year in high school finishing up as a senior. So he's he, he's he's different than Tua. I think Jalen's special from the standpoint of, and you see it now kind of coming out a little bit in his media interviews, but I think he's got an ability to really focus and, and keep things internal and use it to, to fuel his fire and that sort of stuff. Um, uh, Trevor's Trevor's special physically. Um, and he's, he's got that unflappable demeanor uh, where he's going to be able to step in. And I think it, it's, it's going to be a release for him to when he gets on the field at Clemson to just be a Clemson tiger and, and be their quarterback. What kind of expectations do you have for Shea Patterson's immediate eligibility and arrival at Michigan uh, getting put into that offense and, and you know Brandon Peters is there and and Barton's been a, a Brandon Peters supporter you know, he he has continued to preach that uh, Peters is someone who the Wolverines can win with like as as you're starting to look at the quarterback battle in Ann Arbor what do you think might be the key places where that decision is made I think it's going to be fascinating um, Shea's super talented and and I we're right there with Barton on Brandon too um, in terms of his his physical abilities and attributes when he was coming through in high school, you know, Brandon Peters is, you know, with great development and all that sort of stuff, but he's, he's what the NFL is looking for in four to five years. He's big, he's strong, he's sneaky athletic. Um, he's got that same kind of unflappable. He can almost be a little flip at times. I think, and uh, he, he's not meaning to be, but just things don't get to him. Um, and say people have to remember, say hasn't played that much. Um, you know, he got the, the four or five years at the end of his supposed to be redshirt season. And then he got, you know, halfway through last year and got hurt. So it's not like he's this, you know, two year starter, you know, started 16 SEC games and all that sort of stuff. He, he's still only two years out of high school. Um, and even his senior year, if you look back, he was at IMG and didn't get to throw 300, 400 passes and get all these crazy passing games reps. So, um, I think, I think the, the interesting thing will be that Shea kind of gives them this ability to make plays off script when things break down. That's, that's a big part of his game. Um, and that just hasn't been there at Michigan since, since Jim Harbaugh has been there in that staff. And maybe it's a little bit of how they coach the position, which I, I think Brandon could do more. Um, last year was his first time getting on the field, obviously. And I think he was just, you know, trying to focus on do what they're asking him to do. So it'll be interesting to see how he's progressed with getting his feet wet last year and, and now getting a, a full off season with a lot of reps. Um, but it's a fascinating battle and they're both, they're both talented. I think at the end of the day, um, Shea certainly would bring something more in that element of, you know, being able to make plays happen when things break down for them. Um, but I think they're both talented and they can, they can certainly win with, with both guys. So Peters is, is more of a, like, and I don't know how much you guys – acknowledged this when you were coaching him at the Elite 11, but he's more of like a understated, like doesn't really get too high type of kid. And and then I feel like Shea's almost the opposite to a certain degree, like where he's just sort of this fiercely intense kid and, and 
Peters is competitive, but it's almost like in a laid back way. I mean, I, I'm interested in see how in that, like, there's such different personalities. Do you agree? And like how how Harbaugh will, yeah. will perceive those guys and like gravitate to one or the other from a personality standpoint. Absolutely, yeah. There's no question about that, and and how it plays to the locker room too, and how you know how Shea's been able to integrate himself, which I think we won't really be able to fully see until. You know, we, we get better access to practice and <laughs> see him play in the games up there as well, too. Um, he's certainly he's certainly been there for a little bit now. Um, but Brandon's been he, – he came in with his freshman class, and he's, he's been a part of that program for two years. And um, I think especially when you talk about, you know, the offensive linemen and things like that, you can, you can tell that Brandon's already got good bonds with those guys. But, yeah, absolutely from, a, from especially an outward – um, how they project themselves to their teammates. They, they, they couldn't be probably much more opposite than, than Brandon Peters and, and Shea Patterson. Mm. What about at Ohio State where we've got Dwayne Haskins taking over? Dwayne Haskins was an Elite 11, right? Absolutely, yeah. Dwayne, Dwayne was, um, was one of the top guys that year. I think it's fascinating to see, because Barton and I have probably both heard this talking to quarterbacks this year, it feels like Ohio State's been trying to to go pro style or they've been telling kids they've been trying to go pro style for a while. And, and really now I think with, with Dwayne Haskins taking over, he gives them finally that, that passer first at the position that they really haven't had since it's been a minute. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and they've, they've got a, they've got a plethora of receivers that can make plays. They've got good backs. Uh, I think Dwayne's in a great situation and he's been a kid that's been, you know, I wouldn't say under the radar, but just kind of off the radar for a couple of years. But he, he, was, he was one of the guys coming out of high school that year, he, and he can throw the ball with anybody in that class. Um, and I think he's, his mindset, he's been preparing for this opportunity. He's prepared to make the most. I mean, there's, there's great content when he was 9, 10 years old of, you know, rocking around. He, he's wanted to be the Ohio State quarterback since he was a kid. This is his, this is his goal that he's been working towards. So I think there's, there's no question in you know, the people that have been around Dwayne's mind that this is something he's prepared properly for. He's ready to – um, taking full advantage of this opportunity, and um, from from the outside view here, it, it it appears, yeah, like this is this is Dwayne's job, and I think he's got a great chance to to run with it and do some really good things for them. Do you think sticking with Ohio State for a minute, like what what's your expectation for the career arc for Tate Martell? Because that's a really interesting one, given like he's a small guy, he's obviously he's dual threat, but. I don't know. I mean, he's not a, he's not Khalil Tate. Um, like what, what's, and, and maybe we'll see some spot duty from him this year. What, like, how does I this end? Like how, how does Tate Martell's yeah, career? Like, I don't know. Like, like maybe like, do you, like what, what's your expectation, Brian? Like, do you see him as a, um, as a future Trace McSorley or do you see him as like, Oh, I don't know. Like that's, that, I don't, I, I, like he's not a prototype. Yeah. I mean, Trace is, a, Trace is a great comp. Um, you know, you, you threw out Khalil. He, he certainly doesn't have that, that, that fourth or fifth gear. Um, not that he's a, not that he's a slouch by any stretch of the imagination, but I don't, I, I mean, there's a, there's a number of quarterbacks you can count on your hand that have that fifth gear that Khalil showed at Arizona. Right. Um, but I think it'll, that's where it'll be interesting to see how Ohio State plays it this year. Cause, um, we talked a little bit earlier about the, you know, the Alabama guys. And I think whether Urban Meyer is there or not, obviously that'll be sorted out. Um, but that, that staff has had a, had a propensity to go back to the quarterback run when things aren't going well. And this is something we can, we can hang our hat on and, and get through, especially, you know, a tough conference game and things like that when the weather gets bad. So if they're in that setting, I wouldn't be shocked at all to see them sprinkle in Tate. Um, and then who knows if, if that's what's, you know, uh, moving the offense in certain situations, not to say that it couldn't become a competition later in the year if, if Dwayne isn't taking full advantage of, you know, the, the opportunity I think he's going to get at the start of the year. But, yeah, I mean, career arc-wise, say Dwayne Haskins has a great year. Is, is Tate staying there another year? I don't know. That's that's a really good question. Um, I think probably only Tate knows that down in the, you know, the, the deepest, darkest parts of his mind. Um, has he thought about it yet? Don't really know. But um, I think he's going to get a chance to, to get some package stuff this year. Um, cause that, that has been such a big part of their offense and can't see them going away from it, you know, fully, um, just, just, you know, ripping the bandit off this year. All right. But before we get out of the big 10, did, did you see this from Brian Lewerke? I mean, you must, y'all liked him cause you had him in your lead 11, but, um, 
was was his was his breakout year last year like something that you were just sort of counting on and kind of where 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 do you see him stacking up at this point with with some of the other kind of national names now yeah i mean i think the big part to brian's development has just been his work in the weight room and his physical development um you know we see a lot of these guys that are six three and a half 190 when they're in high school and he's he's now you know 225 uh, can do things with 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 the ball in his hand as well he's not just a sit in the pocket type of guy and i think it also speaks to guys that go places um where they have an opportunity to get on the field and compete early and yeah. And Brian, to his credit, I mean, he's, he's, he's now going into his third year as, as the, the full-time guy. Um, he picked a great spot where they develop quarterbacks. They have, a, they have a history of doing it, putting them in great situations, teaching them how to play the right way. That, that also translates up to the next level. Um, he went in. He worked really hard. You know, obviously, we had him probably that year. I think we had 18 guys at the opening as part of that Elite 11 class. And, you know, he was, he was probably down in the bottom two or three just based on how he performed up there. Um, but certainly there are things we liked about him and, and there's all these guys as they, as they go off to college from, from high school and through the camps and things like that. Um, you never know based on where they're going. Um, some guys go places where they just get stacked on the depth chart and they never get reps in practice. And, you know, they're either transferring somewhere or they're, they're not going to see the field. And, and I think to, to Brian's credit, he researched it really well. Uh, he found a, a great place with the history of putting out quarterbacks. And then he got in there and busted his tail. And when he got on the field, he made it count. And now, you see, you're starting to see the benefit of when you get on the field and you get these reps and you get to play. Um, he, he's, he's just built upon each year and, and gotten better and better. And yeah, he's in a great spot now. And, and certainly he's going to be talked about as a, as a draftable bad moving forward for sure. Do you find that there's anything that coaches or scouts necessarily, like, is there anywhere where you differ when it comes to the analysis of a quarterback uh, in terms of something that either the coaches favor or the coaches are missing because as the, the position position has never been more important and, and so much is put into it that I, I was curious just to, from your perspective, it's, it would be a new source to hear at least on my part. Is there anything in the uh, analysis and the scouting of a quarterback that you think people are getting wrong? Um, I, I think it's not necessarily getting wrong. I think, I think we get a great uh, opportunity to spend a lot of time around the kids, especially behind the scenes, but at the same time, we all have to understand, and, and it, it's a it's a big part of it. The coaches recruit towards, you know, what they what they want for their program and their system and their offensive, you know, stuff they want to run. Um, whether it's RPO based or they're still trying to do pro style or you know, everything's a lot of multiple, and and they're starting to blend everything together as well. Um, but I mean, the coaches are still really restricted as it relates to how much they can get out and see. Um, so a lot of times they're having to make decisions on which quarterbacks, especially they're recruiting off of even take from their sophomore year, um, which is so early. Um, so, I, I mean, I think, and, and if you talk to coaches, they, they'll say the same thing. They'd love to have more time, <laughs> especially at the quarterback position, to, to see how these guys continue to grow and progress. Um, but with the kids that are excelling early on their field in the high school, these college coaches are forced to make decisions on which guys to, you know, offer. And then, you know, an offer becomes more after they, they narrow it down. But the, a lot of the big programs are having to make decisions on quarterbacks uh, you know, off season of their sophomore years and, and early in their junior year in the fall, which, you know, we have the benefit of, of obviously waiting longer in the process and then also getting to spend, you know, seven, eight days around a lot of these guys in the summer. Uh, but I mean, the other part of it is too, we, we see a lot more of just in shorts and, you know, uh, t-shirts, which is just, you know, a nature of the off season game. So I, I'd say we probably tend to skew a little bit more towards just the passing side of it. Cause that's what we can see. And it's, it's much more difficult to simulate, um, what guys can do with their feet in a, in a game situation, obviously in the off season. So I'd say when there's, there's probably <clears throat> misses and things like that, it, it's the guys that um, they do so much more with their feet and how that impacts the game. And then as they continue to develop down their line as a passer, um, th- that's probably something that we have, you know, less of a, a chance to really gleam in the off season, obviously. Hey, Brian, what's your expect like for Arizona state this year? And I know you guys were, Y'all were really high on Manny Wilkins, and 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 he's sort of. I feel like his career has tracked almost the way I would expect it to, just sort of a slow build. And now this is sort of his year to to maybe take the next to take the big step forward. What what's what's your expectation out of him this year? And I and I would say more generally too, because you're you're out there in Southern California. You're you played in the Pac-12, um, or the Pac-10. 
uh, I guess at that time. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But but uh, what like through uh, across that conference because there's some pretty like intriguing arms whether it's Steve Montez at Colorado, uh, obviously Justin Herbert up at Oregon, but you know maybe Dorian Thompson Robinson. I don't know. Maybe he's going to roll in there to to UCLA and be a guy. Like I would be curious what buzz you're hearing or what your expectations are across that that conference of like who the guys are going to be. KJ Costello maybe taking that stuff forward. What what's how how would you kind of handicap that conference? And and I would and I think specifically um, your take on Manny Wilkins just because I know you guys liked him coming out. Yeah, Manny's a guy that we you shoot. I think we saw him after his either his freshman or sophomore year when he was in Northern California. And, uh, great backstory um, for people to get the time to go back and, and read it just as it relates to, to moving out there from Houston and um, the family took him in and, and kind of helped him get right. And um, I'm excited for him. He, he's got some guys around him, obviously with Nikhil Harry and um, some of the, the receivers they have coming back to, to really be set up to have a big senior year. And I think they're going to need it from him. Um, it, it's a, it's a big year. You guys probably hear it a little bit out there, but I think there's a lot of questions around just the, Herm Edwards and what that's going to be and what it's going to look like. So I think Manny's going to have a, a big opportunity to set the table for him. But I think, like you said, it's been a build for him. Uh, there's a there's a real um, resolve within him, and he's internally strong. He's he's had to go through these battles and fight guys off. You know, most notably, obviously Blake Barnett transferring back there, and I think yeah. a lot of people from the outside just assume that that Blake would go in there and that would be his job. But um, credit to Manny and all the work that he's put into to hold on to that and 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 really. That wasn't even an issue for them last year. Um, that was Manny's job. And, and so I'd be surprised if he doesn't have a good year. Um, I think the Pac-12 South in general is just going to be really fascinating this year and, and wide open. Uh, Khalil Tate did obviously some special things in the year last year for Arizona. Um, so it'll be great to see how he takes the next step. And also, you know, these Pac-12 coaches now have, have a, a little bit of film to see what that is. And <laughs> I think yeah. when he came out last year, that, that, that first game or two – it was like nothing anybody's seen out here. It was just, it was just amazing. Yeah, a little bit, but still, you know, it, it, even in the SC game, SC slowed him down in the first half, and and he, he brought him right back in the second half. Right. So he he does yeah. some things that are tough um, to, to game plan against because you just can't simulate that with your scout team quarterback most of the time. Um, USC situation will obviously be interesting. Both the LA schools have there's you know, one. fairly wide open. I mean, quarterback it's going to be JT Daniels, right? Like it's going to be JT Daniels. I think it, You're, I think it has to be. Um, you know, kind of the 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 tea leaves seem to say that, um, and and you know the the buzz coming out of the first practice, the coach speaks that you hear from from Coach Shelton and the others about you know how well he's he's taken to it, kind of leads you to you know I think those tea leaves read that UCLA is, is probably a, a lot more cloudy. Uh, you got Wilton Spate transferring back in. You have got uh, Devon Monster who who played the last couple games last year when Josh got hurt, and then you got. Dorian Thompson Robinson uh, coming in as a true freshman. I would be shocked if one of the veteran guys didn't start out as the guy, probably Monster, just because I think he can you can do a little bit more with him if you're Chip Kelly in terms of um, some RPO stuff and, and really threaten the defense and, and stretch him and make him play everything. But I think at the same time, I'm not sure how good UCLA is going to be this year at the end of the at the end of the day. And um, I think there's going to be opportunities for DTR um, as they get through the year and, and see where they are and if they're you know four and six or three and five. And there's an opportunity to spark the team later in the year and see what he's, what he's got. And, you know, looking towards the next year, I think he's probably going to get some chances too. But yeah, I think in general, obviously the conference was, was way down last year and, and people really talked about it and screamed it from the mountaintops during the bowl season. But with the quarterbacks, the young guys coming up, uh, a JT Daniels, a full season, a Khalil Tate, uh, Justin Herbert, hopefully a full season of him at Oregon. And then some veterans you got coming back like Jake Browning at Washington who have that kind of, real uh, platform opportunity in the first game with Auburn. Auburn, uh, the quarterbacks are coming back up in this conference, which which is generally when the, the Pac-12 plays better um, and gets more respect nationally. And then you mentioned K.J. Costello, another guy who now with, you know, I think being the guy and getting starters reps, unfortunately he missed the spring uh, with his injuries. But um, going into fall camp, knowing that he's the guy and, and being able to get those reps, excited for him because they have a lot of guys back on offense. Uh, not just Bryce Love, but most of the receiver core, some really good tight ends. Um, so if he's healthy, I think KJ is going to have a, a great chance to take the next step to this year. One more before we get you out of here. Uh, Brian Stump again on Twitter, at Stump underscore Brian, general manager of Elite 11. Do you foresee in your crystal ball that there will be elite 
level quarterback play at Texas soon? And if so, who do you think is the quarterback that leads them there? Great question. Uh, I think I think Sam is their guy. Um, I think he's getting the, the first reps here going into fall camp. And I'm, I'm a big Sam guy from the standpoint of what he can do in that system. Um, I just talked about it a little bit with, with Mobster at UCLA. Obviously, Sam's a, Sam's a better player. We liked him a lot bit more in high school. Um, what he can do in a college offense, I think, is, is, is everything that Tom Herman probably wants. Um, I also think his, his leadership and his intangibles um, down there in that locker room probably give him the edge to be the guy. If they have things around him, um, which I think they do, I think the receivers are, are, are starting to round in the form, and a guy like Colin Johnson could be a guy that really steps forward this year. Sure. Um, I'm not saying it this year, but I, I, Sam Ellinger in, in a year or two could be a guy that's a, a Heisman Trophy finalist and, and be one of the better college quarterbacks in the country. Uh, he's that type of player and that type of leader. He's obviously young and, and got his feet wet. He has to stay healthy. That's his biggest thing just because of the way he plays. He's fearless. He's, he's, he wants to be the toughest guy on the field and, and is <laughs> most of the time. Um, he's got to stay healthy. Uh, but I think, I think they're excited about him down there. Shane Bouchel is a really good player too. Um, more of just a, a pure passer, and I'm not sure that's necessarily what they want in that offense. Um, but I think Sam's going to get a shot, and, and if he stays healthy – um, I think he's got a chance to do really good things in, in Austin the next three years. All right. We'll, we'll kind of clo- let you go on this one. Um, but I wanted to ask, so like, and, and keep, we'll, we'll, we'll think about this in terms of current college players and we'll include like very recent draft picks. So don't go back to your Aaron Rodgers days necessarily, but like who are, in your opinion, based on the full body of work, what you have seen with your own eyes at camp based on what they've shown so far in their careers like who are the guys that you think at the quarterback position are, are the best that have come through over the last four or five years and and I asked you that because in my mind I'm thinking that your answer might be that a few of them are are playing this year that are are, are some of the big names that maybe we've we talked about or or will be talking about a lot this fall, but but I'm I'm curious what your answers are. Like, what who are the top two or three that have come through over the last I don't know five six years? Yeah, I, I think we we hit on for sure three of them uh, with with Tua um, and what he did through our process, especially Tua because he wasn't you know uh, the guy or the the one or two guys kind of in that cycle at that point and. And he just grabbed every opportunity through that process and, and really endeared himself to people on and off the field. Um, uh, I think Trevor and Justin are, are really special players, both um, from out of this last class. Um, especially George, it'll be fun, another situation to see how that one plays out, obviously. Um, through the process, he, he obviously made his headlines and, and that type of stuff. Josh Rosen physically um, as, as just a, a passer and a, a, you drop a guy and how he throws the football um, was always special. He's got a special mind. Um, excited to see him in the NFL. It's, it's a system that they'll run there and, and guys around him. It's probably he's more suited for than playing college football, um, especially with some of the, the run pass stuff he was asked to do at UCLA that just didn't, didn't fit. Um, those are probably a couple of the guys off the top of my head from the last few years. Um, that really stood out from, from start to finish in the process in terms of their physical ability and that type of stuff. Um, going back, you know, Deshaun Watson was a guy that at the opening didn't dominate, uh, but I think we, we loved everything we saw from him throughout that, that journey as it relates to, to off the field and the adversity that he'd overcome. Um, and, and, and that's one of those things that continue to show and, and has really allowed him to succeed and, and do what he's done is, you know, when something bad happens to him, he's able to overcome it, obviously, with, with the injuries and uh, things like that. Um, it, it's a challenge that he's overcome every single time. So excited to see him this, this, this second year with the Houston Texans. But those would, those would be, Barton, probably a couple of the guys from the last four or five years that, that really stood out start to finish in the, in the, the process and from the physical talent uh, like, standpoint as well. We, we could be seeing like a pretty special little quarterback run here over the next couple of years, right? Like I think that's sort of what I was getting at. Is And, and I mean... Like it's not going to get better than this. It, like we, between Tua and Trevor, and if Justin Fields becomes what we think he's going to become, and I, it just seems like we could have a lot of fun watching the quarterback position 
over the next two to three years. Do you agree? Absolutely, especially if you're you're an SEC fan. It, it feels like sometimes <laughs> the, the the quarterback play gets gets spread out more, or just just the defenses in the SEC are so good that um, you know it's hard for guys to to put up huge numbers and, and have great years uh, playing in the SEC. But yeah, with the the concentration of guys down there in the southeast and. Um, if you if you see some guys step up and and uh, you know Derek Stidham continues to progress at Auburn this year, etc., um, it can be a really fun year down there. And then the next two or three with with Tua, Jake Fromm, Justin Fields, JT Trevor Daniels. Lawrence, like you mentioned, JT Daniels out west, uh, DTR possibly out west, etc. So uh, yeah, absolutely. These last couple classes have have been exceptional, and and uh, there's there's guys that are in a position to uh, really be exciting watches over the next couple of years in college football. He is Brian Stump, general manager of the Elite 11. Follow him on Twitter at Stump underscore Brian. Brian, thank you so much for your insights and taking the time to join us here on the show. Absolutely, guys. My pleasure.